Brace yourself. It's gonna be loud. It's gonna be loud. I'm loud when I get excited, and I'm excited to be back. Hello, welcome to episode number thirty-two of the Joe Devoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna Devoe, but you can call me Joe, and I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic. It's also been a while since I've been here. How have you all been? I have been good. If you would like to hear what I've been up to these past couple of months and what I have planned for the future of the podcast going forward, stick around till the end and I will get into all of that. But first, I am going to attempt to read a long form piece that I recently published on Medium called Will Machines Replace Us? A natural remedy for the next existential threat of our time. Computer technology is useful. It can help us save time, operate more efficiently, and expand our creative toolbox. Humans using machines as an enhancement or extension of ourselves is nothing new. But outside of science fiction, machines using humans is Some believe this weird role reversal may soon become an existential threat. By all accounts, the future we're headed toward is one in which we won't be able to tell the difference between humans and machines online. That last word marks an important distinction. The AI takeover may have already begun, but not in every domain, most notably the entire natural world, which means we still have the opportunity to build a strong reality-based foundation for ourselves, our families, and our communities. We can do that by investing more time spent in nature together. I would also argue for the virtues of meditation and human creativity in response to the unrelenting digital evolution shaping our future, but here I want to stay focused on nature as the core remedy because nature has the capacity to facilitate these other modalities and more. This is not a call to opt out of social media, e-commerce, or online anything, really. It's a suggestion that we get and stay rooted in the soil from whence we came so that we can explore exciting new virtual terrains without losing ourselves in the process. The more enmeshed with machines we become, the greater urgency there is to reinforce our connection to nature. Humans are always trying to outsmart nature in the name of progress, and yet time and again prove to ourselves but never seem to remember that these so-called advancements often set us back in other ways. Our modern diet is a perfect example of that, with highly processed foods linked to a shocking array of serious health issues. Our environment is another, as the chemical byproducts of industry continue to poison our water, soil, and air. In this vein, it's also worth noting the negative psychological effects attributed to excess use of social media, which is troubling! considering the way social media is deliberately designed to inspire excessive use. 
This circular trap is now compounded by its merger with AI and the potential manipulations that come along with that. When the very computer scientists responsible for creating these emerging technologies are warning developers that they need to slow down before losing control of them forever, we might all be wise to heed their warnings. That does not mean we should start running around screaming that the sky is falling. There is no sense in getting ourselves or each other worked up with worry. All that will do is create more overwhelm and overwhelmed people shut down. That is the opposite of what we need now. This is a time to keep our eyes and ears and hearts open and our nervous systems regulated. Fortunately, a deep abiding connection to nature can help us do both. Nature does not need computers to comprehend itself. It does not need clocks or calendars to manage time. Nature is complete in itself and self-organizing. It knows when to reap and sow, rest and replenish. And when we stay attuned to its rhythms, we do too. Of course, clocks, calendars, and computers are useful tools for navigating this modern life, particularly from an economic perspective, but they fail to address the needs of the human animal, which is inextricably a part of nature, not just in it, but of it. Nature's realm is not composed of measurements or fixed calculations, but of mysterious, poetic fact, as realized through experience. So it is we know your skin will burn if you spend too much time in the sun, and your stomach will growl if you do not feed it. Experience is how we came to grasp the parameters of procreation and how not to accidentally make a baby while having a good time. It's why we don't install a flagpole during an electric storm, take a nap in a bed of poison ivy, or keep raw meat outside the fridge. Live and learn. Your body keeps the score because it is oriented toward survival and constantly processing information to that end on your behalf. It is the sensitive interface between your inner and outer environments. The disembodied way we can now shop, socialize, work, and learn in cyberspace is miraculous in many respects and has even been life-saving for some people, but it can also leave us feeling disconnected and dependent on impersonal systems. The more we rely on machines to meet our needs, not to mention with such speed and predictability, the greater risk we take in losing touch with the organic elements that both challenge and sustain us. We are not machines and cannot be psychologically fulfilled or spiritually nurtured by machines. For that, we need nature and regular human contact. In his classic work, Care of the Soul, a guide for cultivating depth and sacredness in everyday life, Thomas More said, when we relate to our bodies as having soul, we attend to their beauty, their poetry, and their expressiveness. Our very habit of treating the body as a machine whose muscles are like pulleys and its organs engines forces its poetry underground so that we experience the body as an instrument and see its poetics only in illness. End quote. The same could be said of our planet. 
and the way we too often regard it as a collection of exploitable resources rather than a matrix of creative, self-generating mystery. We tend to burden both ourselves and our environment with an overemphasis on productivity when what we really need is to foster more care and mutual benefit. The good news is there are myriad ways to do that. You could take up an outdoor sport like hiking, horseback riding, or surfing. Experiment with homesteading. Rip out your lawn in favor of a native or edible garden. Implement a composting routine or develop an earth-based spiritual practice. It's the latter on which I personally choose to focus because an earth-based spiritual practice speaks not only to the need to stay grounded in what is real, but also to the crisis of meaning that has so many folks feeling lost and confused. Such practice can be as agnostic or as religious as you want it to be. It is not based on the scriptures of man, but in the dirt beneath our feet and in the blood and water, electricity and air moving through our bodies every hour of every day. Many organized religions center around a sacred text. The Bible is a prime example of that and is frequently referred to as the Word of God or just simply the Word. Nature's doctrine can't be captured on the page. It is the living word and the never-ending story of creation. Nature is a choose-your-own-adventure yarn, dotted with episodes of grave danger, yet rich in opportunity. It is diverse in all ways. It can scare the pants off you one moment, then crack your heart open with startling beauty the next. Nature is also a teacher. It teaches viscerally, weaving its lessons into the fiber of your being by sensual means. Skin to wind, mud, light, dew, layer after layer of fragrance and sound, colors and shades we don't have words for, and the deep, silent knowing of rocks and trees. Nature emphasizes the need for patience, aligned action, and suitable conditions if we are to bring to fruit any seed, as well as the harsh reality that, try as we may to do everything right, we won't always get what we want. Nature teaches resilience, boundaries, risk and respect, but perhaps its most enlightening course is death. Death schools us in the ways of transformation, through the cycles of the moon and sun, predator and prey, wildfire, vultures, snakes, mushrooms, and all the secret layers of the necrobiome. To be a student of death is to be prepared for and less afraid of our own life's transformations. It is to know that death feeds life and vice versa, that living and dying are simply two sides of the same ever-spinning coin and that every end is really a beginning. It is through nature that you have been given this life, and it is to nature you will return upon death. Your life is a gift, but not in the sense of a material thing that you get to keep forever. It is the gift of novel experience and precious by virtue of its impermanence. 
I first encountered the Wiccan Wheel of the Year sometime in the late 90s when the craft and charmed were all the rage and books by authors like Lori Cabot and Phyllis Currit started showing up on the shelves of mainstream bookstores. Still, it would be more than a decade before I'd start studying the wheel in earnest and soon thereafter begin walking the wheel as a way of structuring my spiritual practice. By 2012, I had customized this walk to suit my own preferences, less mythology, more process, and started referring to it as the psycho-spiritual wheel of the year, which is the framework for my personal praxis to this day. The reason I want to share it here in this context is because the wheel is something you are unlikely to encounter if you're not inclined toward paganism. That feels like a loss to me. Nature is for everyone, and walking the wheel is a beautiful way to immerse yourself in its ongoing lessons. A note to anyone for whom the word walk does not resonate. Please feel free to experiment with language until you find an alternative that speaks to you. Maybe try travel or follow on for size instead. In essence, the wheel follows the cycles of the sun and Earth's corresponding seasons, often punctuated by agricultural themes. Some folks prefer the timing of a four-spoked wheel that marks each solstice and equinox, while others choose an eight-spoked wheel approach that includes the cross-quarter days, highlighting the transitional periods between each season. You can customize the wheel by adding key astrological events, special anniversaries, or holy days from your own spiritual tradition. It pairs nicely with any number of isms, mysticism, animism, pantheism, monotheism, even atheism. Nature is such that you do not have to believe in anything beyond its physical presence to reap its benefits, which means you can walk the wheel in a purely secular way. I use an eight-spoked wheel to serve as a scaffolding on which to hang the various psycho-spiritual practices I've picked up over the years, decluttering during the transition between winter and spring, planting seeds of intention once spring has sprung, nurturing growth all summer long, celebrating harvest and giving thanks come fall, then releasing and contemplating what has passed in winter. The wheel can be as literal or symbolic as the sun and demands little more than that you pay attention. Paying attention can be as simple as noticing the quality of each morning's light, the way its color changes and its duration shrinks and expands over time, guiding the shadows and prompting life Paying attention can be oriented around self-care and finding nurturance and going barefoot in the grass or sand, lingering uncovered in the rain, sniffing an orange blossom, watching the sunset, listening to the birds, resting, and letting the soft animal of your body love what it loves, as Mary Oliver said in her iconic poem, Wild Geese. Paying attention can also be more structured and elaborate. It may include traditional festivities or formal ceremony. It might involve costumes, ritual feasts, or low-key arts and crafts with friends. If a packed schedule or disability limits your access to natural spaces, consider getting into 
a meditative relationship with the view outside your window, particularly if it faces the landscape or sky. A practice of ongoing observation through the lens of one fixed frame can fuel a surprising range of creativity, depth of feeling, and meaning-making. What I am advocating for here is not a rejection of emerging technologies, but the practiced reinforcement of what makes us human, both to preserve our own sense of agency and for the health of the collective. Going forward, we will need all the grounded lucidity we can get. Oh, I did it. That was not easy to do. That was not easy to do for me. Maybe it's easy for you, but it is not easy for me to read as opposed to just talking. I have practiced for years on Patreon, mostly reading other people's work, but when I read my own work, it's always harder. And I edit. I am a podcast editor. I do it for you. I do it so you have a good experience. And editing that and then listening back to what I edited, I was like, oh my God, I sound like AI. (laughs) And it took so much work just to spit it out. I had such a case of rubber tongue where, you know, your tongue is just not moving properly because you're too (laughs) self-conscious. (laughs) I finally made it all the way through, finally edited it all, and then decided this sounds like AI and had the wild thought, I'll just redo the whole thing. And then I was like, no, no, this is a teachable moment for myself and for anybody else who is learning this lesson. Perfectionism is a fast track to nowhere. We can do hard things and we can learn as we go. We can go slowly. Direction, as they say, is much more important than speed. And show up. Just show up. One of the reasons why I have not recorded a podcast in a couple of months, it shocked me when somebody asked where I had been after a few weeks had gone by. I had no idea a few weeks had gone by because I was so wrapped up and engaged with what I was doing, (laughs) excited about it, and that mainly is working offline. I just, I have made, gosh, if you count Patreon and my old YouTube channel, I'll bet I have made 500 videos plus 500 podcasts, maybe more, and it all feels so disposable. I'm not saying this of anyone else's work. There are some amazing creators out there utilizing social media, podcasting, YouTubing, TikTok in really exciting artistic ways. But to me, for a long time, it felt like the fast food of creativity. I felt like I wanted to go deeper and I wanted to stretch more. For a long time, it has bothered me the way that just the internet has been moving and social media, the way that content creators, I'm I'm coming out with a piece soon about why I'm just not going to call myself that anymore. 
But the way that we've been encouraged to create more and more and more, it actually started very early on YouTube when I was making at least a video a week with my first YouTube channel. And I wasn't using it for my business at that time. I was just doing it for free for the love of it. And it's very fun at first. But then people start making lots of requests. If you go missing for whatever reason, they'll like blow up your inbox and they'll start like picking at you and critiquing you. And you're like, hold on, I'm doing this for free. What is happening? (laughs) And then when you move to a business model, when I moved to a business model, it was when social media was still fairly free and you had a pretty wide reach. If people subscribe to follow along with your journey, they would see your posts. I started back then, and then I just slowly watched that not just whittle away to where they started asking creators to pay to reach a larger percentage of their audience. The price got higher and higher, the percentage got smaller and smaller, and it really just became untenable in a lot of ways. And in addition to that, They were encouraging us to create more. So first it was like, you really need to create a piece of content like every couple of weeks. Then it was like, you really need to create a piece of content every week, which was fine because that's what I was already doing and more. I was doing newsletters and blog posts and podcasts and YouTube. I was doing many different things and working my butt off all the time and going as fast as I could, by the time it got around to, you really should be making a video every single day. And social media started giving this message to creators too. Other creatives, successful creators were telling us, you know, if you wanna win this game, if you want to reach more people, whatever, however they framed it, if you want to serve, however they decided to frame it, the message was you need to create every single day. And then it was, you need to go live every single day. And I was just like, I'm out. I am a single mom. I am a solopreneur. I have other dreams, other creative dreams that are more long-term and that require long, deep, focused work that I am not able to do because I am running on this content creator hamster wheel. And I will talk more about that in a future Medium post. But I just all of a sudden was just like, okay, stop. (laughs) I already had had this moment a few times. I had another stop, hold on, regroup. What do you want to do here? And I was like, I want to write on Medium. I have been wanting to write on Medium. It was a toss up between Medium and Substack. Ultimately, I chose Medium because it's very searchable and they have a built-in readership. I want to tap into a readership of people who actually read long-form content. This to me is like spiritual and political. I'm a total dinosaur about this. I understand that many people feel otherwise, but I don't like that our attention span is shrinking. And so this is my way of dealing with that (laughs) and being like, I will not let my attention span shrink and I'm going to create content for people who also will not let their attention span shrink. People who actually read books, people who actually go see a two hour movie without checking their phone every 10 seconds. Like maybe we're all just going to be dinosaurs and we're going to 
die out in a couple of generations. But whatever, we're here now and I want to create for us. That was kind of the sentiment. And then I thought, well, I, I can actually then spin content off from that. It doesn't just have to be you know, this long form piece that I invest a lot of time in, then I can actually read it on the podcast. So people who don't want to go over to Medium or don't have a Medium membership, you're only allowed to read five articles there a month for free. So people who can't do that or they've tapped out their five and they don't want to join, they can just hear it on the podcast. So that's right there. That's like two pieces of something. I'm like hesitant to call it art. I'm hesitant to call it content. I don't know what to call it. (laughs) Let's just say content. Two pieces of content. But then also I can create little memes and maybe some short videos and pull out the quotes and, you know, create other like faster content, always pointing back to this article. And I was thinking it'd be so cool if I could do that, you know, once every couple of weeks. So far, I have written two pieces for Medium. The first one was called My Blue Check Experiment, what it's really like to subscribe to Twitter Blue. And the reason I didn't read that to you is because I know most of you just absolutely despise Twitter. (laughs) There's a high likelihood, I knew when I was writing this, of getting made fun of or just like attacked for being such a fool for loving Twitter, which I do, I do. I enjoy that platform, I just do. And I wanted to try the blue check mark. And I'm curious, one of my friends actually right around the time I was doing this got a blue check on Instagram because she was so sick of imposter accounts. And the last I heard, she since she got the blue check mark, she has not had an imposter account. So that's good for her. And it's good for the many people that follow her to be able to say, there she is. I don't want to say her name because I didn't get her permission to mention. But there she is. There's the person I want to follow. And she's got that little blue check. I just wanted to see what it was about. I still have the blue check. It's been a couple of months. So... (laughs) That was the first one, and then the next one was the one I just read to you. Will machines replace us? A natural remedy for the next existential threat of our time. I almost cannot say existential. Try to say that word. Say it five times fast. I will be so impressed if you can do it the first time. (laughs) The first try. I had to re-record myself saying that so many times. I was like, I'm just going to rewrite the title because I can't say this word out loud. My tongue will not move this way. (sighs) So the reason I was just so damn pleased just now and I was like, okay, I did it is because I am not skilled at writing long form essays right now. I do write long form daily, really. I've written a full novel, a draft of a second one, and I've written several screenplays in the past, and I do daily morning pages. I rock it out. You might remember the moment when I told everybody that listens to my podcast that morning pages are five pages long, and then I immediately heard back from people like, yo, Joe, it's only three pages, and that's hard enough. What are you doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, somehow, some way, it like snuck up on me, and three became five because I enjoy that. But if I'm trying to make a point and I'm trying to write in a kind of essay format, 
I'm new to that. And if I'm trying to make a compelling point and hold your attention for a long time, that's a huge challenge. And I am a massive overwriter, as you may be able to put together by that morning pages story. <laughs> so whatever you're seeing on Medium is like a third of what I had. And then I would sit there. It was like a horrible, horrible puzzle trying to cut it back. And that old saying that writers threaten each other with, you have to kill all your darlings, you have to kill all your darlings, all your beautiful sentences, all your clever ideas. If they don't serve a purpose, if they don't move the piece forward, they have to go. And so it was time consuming to write both of these pieces. The Twitter one was harder for me because I felt somebody was going to yell at me. <laughs> Nobody has yelled at me, by the way, but I was afraid somebody was going to yell at me. And so I was really trying to be dispassionate and informative and as inoffensive as I could while still sharing why I was doing this and what the point was. But they both took a long time to write. And then the really hellish dark night of the creative process was just trying to edit it down. And so what I have found in doing that and then also in trying to read to you, which is a big challenge, is I'm willing to suck I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to really, really struggle and go through the deep, weird, dark night of a long creative project because, for one, I have developed a growth mindset and I know that growth happens through challenge, but two, it feels so good. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. And then the win is not about how other people respond to you. The win has, I mean, that's nice. You want people to love it, but you get those wins when you finally, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. If I cut this and then I move this over here, it all makes so much more sense. That is a high. That feels so satisfying. It's satisfying. That's the perfect word for that experience of really putting in the hours day after day after day, not knowing what you're doing, wanting to quit 42 times, and then finally finishing it and being like, <gasps> even if it sucks, I did it. I'm a badass. Nobody will ever know the suffering that I just endured to write this piece that maybe nobody will ever even read or care about, but I did it. And I love that feeling. I want to do this. So I can't promise you that I will go very fast because I'm still a little clunky at this. And I have an extremely busy life off the internet. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. But that is one thing that will be happening here on the podcast going forward. If I think the piece I wrote might be appropriate for this audience, I will try to read it out loud. I say try because hopefully I'm just going to get better and better and better and better at it. My dream is for you not to be able to tell that I'm reading. Although when I think about all the audiobooks I've listened to, they all sound like somebody reading. <laughs> the only scripted podcasts I really enjoy are theatrical. I like a theatrical podcast where it has like music and all of that and it it feels more like a like a production. I enjoy that. But if a podcaster, if I can tell that they're just reading, 
it's distracting to me. And sometimes it's just, it has like an inhuman cadence to it and my mind wanders more. And so I'm kind of worried that that's what I just did to you. I don't know. I would love your feedback on this. You won't hurt my feelings if you're being kind. <laughs> um, I'll get better at it over time for sure. And I'm excited to practice. And then of course I want... I want to sell my novel. That is something I'm trying to do behind the scenes as well. So long form, long form, growth mindset, deep work, maintaining a long attention span. These are like my goals. I haven't gotten, as far as I know, unless they've fallen through the cracks, I haven't gotten any more voicemails since the last one I answered here. So if you want to leave me a voicemail and ask me a question about magic, shadow work, the wheel of the year, what else? How to make the perfect mushroom coffee latte, how to be a kick-ass planner nerd, how to develop a greater sense of self-love, self-care, self-respect, stuff like that. If you have a question about something you've heard me talk about, if I feel like I can answer it, I will. I will make you a dedicated podcast because I feel like if you have that question, other people probably have the same question too. And it's fun. I love to get in conversation with you. And then another thing that I'm thinking I would love to do is go back through my Patreon content because... It's lost. It's just sitting there. Patreon doesn't have an organized archive. And I have been creating content there for years. There are so many podcasts that are just going to get lost to the internet abyss. And I feel like some of it's probably good. So it would be fun to dig some of that out and then just maybe re-record an intro and share things from the Patreon archives that I think you all will like. If you have any requests, let me know what you're most interested in. So those are the three the three podcast styles going forward that I will be playing around with. Reading whatever piece I recently wrote for Medium. Answering one of your questions through speakpipe.com slash the Joe DeVoe show. There will be a link in the show notes or something from the archive. At least through the summer, this is going to be what I'm experimenting with. I'm a big experimenter because really, you don't know if something's going to work, if something's going to be sustainable for you. If you don't try it, you have to try really. If you're curious and you want to find out, you can research, you can research, you can analyze, you can plot, you can plan, but ultimately you're never going to know until you try. So I've just become really big on experimentation and it gives me permission to stop. It gives me permission to stop if I'm not loving it. And I've found there's a trick when you're creating things for other people. You need to love it first for it to be sustainable. You have to love it. You have to enjoy what you're doing. And even though I was just explaining this kind of like hellish process, you have to love the process. You have to actually love the creative process before you ever show it to anyone else. You have to get something out of it. It has to be valuable to you. And then the second part of the equation is other people have to find it valuable if you want to have a business. That's pretty important. <laughs> it has to go both ways. So experimentation is so great because you might love doing something and it might be really fun and then it might just 
keep falling flat. And for whatever mysterious reason, maybe you're just ahead of your time. Other people don't get it. They don't appreciate it. It's just not the moment for that thing. And so then you can try something else. I am still very much on Patreon, creating things over there. Every month I do a long-form podcast called The Bebo Effect, Beauty In, Beauty Out, where I really just ramble about my life and whatever I have found beautiful or moving in the past month. And then I have a more expensive, fancier tier called The Journey, and on that tier... I create a podcast exploring one tarot card, and then I do an illustration, which I turn into an illustrated coloring page of that tarot card. But I feel like the main draw there is the podcast, because it's long. It's usually around an hour long and very riffy. You know, I, I will usually talk about some of the traditional meanings of the card, but what I really love to do is just sort of look at the card and riff on the imagery and let my imagination take me where it will. So those episodes can be pretty interesting. And this month we're doing the devil. <laughs> I'm very, I haven't recorded that yet, but I'm very excited to talk about the devil. I can't stop with the devil or Jesus. I think these two figures, these two archetypes are probably with me for life because of the religion that I grew up in. And devil, the devil, I'll just say here for the record, I really don't believe in the devil or in Satan as an actual figure. I think it is an anthropomorphization of fear and a really awesome way to control people. But I do think that archetype ties into a lot of historical similar archetypes and Saturn and it's an interesting thing to explore. So I'm super looking forward to getting around to doing that. And that's what's what. The kid, my kid, if you don't know, his name is Tanner Golfball DeVoe. He has been doing Special Olympics and a whole bunch of different programs around town that I'm driving him around to. I am officially now a taxi mom because we lost transportation during the pandemic and we haven't gotten it back. So a lot of my life is spent on the freeway. <laughs> the freeways of Los Angeles, practicing what I preach. I'm telling you, the traffic jams that I have gotten stuck in, I think about you all. I'm like, what if the entire hippie witch, Joe DeVoe show listening audience was watching me right now? What would, what would I do to walk my talk? And it's always like I get into some sort of really goofy, cheesy gratitude practice with my kid or I practice breathing and just relaxing the individual parts of my body. <laughs> I do a little mudra magic if I need something to open up, a lane, an exit. I just get very corny or very witchy with it. So I feel like... Witching on the go has served me very, very well in that regard. So I hope you all are enjoying 2023 so far. We are almost halfway through the year. It is an awesome time to reflect on whatever has happened in the first half of the year, what is working for you, what is not, just to kind of reassess and regroup. If you work with a word of the year, it's a great time to recommit to it or bust it out and examine like how that word has been presenting for you so far this year. And then 
just getting very, very clear on what you want the second half of the year to be. I love doing that kind of thing, and it's a good time to do it with the solstice coming up. We got a new moon coming up here soon on the 17th. So good time for some reflection. Leave me a voicemail. Leave me a voicemail. Swing by Twitter to say hello if you just want to say hey. And until we meet again, always remember, life is change. Change is magic. Magic is life. And the journey is the creation. Much love to you. Peace.